Okay. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to 1 John. Like Mike said, uh, we're starting a new series today. It's a new uh, end of the summer holidays, so a new term. We're going to be starting a new series. And we're going to be opening up and exploring John's first letter over the uh, coming weeks. I think it's about eight weeks that we're going to be spending time in this letter. And just while you're finding your way there, I just want to give you kind of a bit of background, a bit of context, uh, a bit of understanding about who the author is and the, the situations and circumstances into which he was writing. Because if we're going to be looking at this letter, it's important for us to understand the circumstances that it was being written into, the, the reason and the purpose of why it was written. And if we understand that, then it helps us really to understand how it applies to us, um, what God is saying to us about it. Now, this letter was written around 90 AD, and it was written by John. John was one of the original disciples, okay? So he was one of the 12. He had been around Jesus. Jesus had called him and he had followed him. He had been with Jesus as Jesus underwent his ministry. He was able to to witness the things that Jesus had been doing firsthand. He had that relationship. He was his friend. He was Jesus' friend. Uh, So it's this John that's writing these letters, this letter. And this letter in particular was written, it's believed, somewhere while he was between 85 to 95 years old. Okay, so he was an old guy at that time, uh, really coming towards the end of his life and at this point he'd been following Jesus for over 60 years okay so he'd known Jesus for 60 years he'd been with Jesus while Jesus was alive and then after Jesus uh, had been resurrected and, and sent back to heaven John to continue to follow him and he'd been following him for about 60 years at this point he's the last of the original 12 disciples so this whole kind of this whole generation of believers uh, had, had, had starting to, to pass away. He's the sole survivor of the original twelve, and in this letter, he's really just pouring out his heart to the church. And it was a letter uh, that was sent around to the churches. John was living in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he'd been there and he'd sent this letter. So he'd written this letter with the intention that it would be sent around to the churches. And as we read the letter, as we go through it over the coming weeks, we'll see his concerns. We'll see the reasons why he was writing it. We'll see what it was that was stirring him to be able to, to get his message, really, and, and what he wanted to share with the believers in the churches. But one of the main concerns he had, we have to understand, at the time he was writing, there were a lot of false teachers around. And the false teachers were attracting a large following. The things that they were saying were contrary to to the truth, contrary to what Jesus had taught, contrary to what the apostles, so those who had been starting the churches uh, and fathering the churches to what they'd been teaching. Some deviations had been coming in and and steering people away from what the truth was. The gospel that had been proclaimed was being changed by these people who had their own agendas and wanting to see, uh, kind of get their own following for themselves. And John, he's seeing and hearing of followers who are drifting from the truth to the point where some were falling away and falling out of church altogether. So this was a very real concern for John. And through the letter, he, he will state, as I said, he's going to state why he's writing and we'll touch on some of these reasons today. Now, John's style, if you've ever, if you've ever read uh, through his letters, it, it, it's kind of a hard writing style to follow. It it seems like he kind of wanders from subject to subject with no real uh, pattern. And if we were to kind of give it a name, it would be like a circular style of writing. Now, if uh, you've ever heard our very own James uh, speak or preach, he would say, and he's said this before, uh, that that's very much the way that he would speak. He kind of has his main point, but he'll kind of 
kind of, it seems like he's wandering somewhere and, if, and he'll be talking about something, but then he'll always bring it back to his point. And what he's doing is he's building layer upon layer, coming back to that point, emphasizing it again. He'll go off, but then come back. And this is exactly what we find through John's style of writing. It seems like he might wander and wander, but he keeps coming back to his points. He keeps coming back to the things that he wants to say. And as he does so, he's building layers and richness to what he is saying. So we're going to be starting today right at the beginning of the letter. That's always a good place to start. So we're going to be reading from John, 1 John 1. Uh, we're going to be reading through into the first few verses of chapter, of chapter 2. If you haven't got your Bibles, it should be up on the screens for you to follow as well. So let's read together, shall we? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so there's quite a lot that we're going to be uh, diving straight into today and unpacking today. Uh, and whereas John, in, in his writings, he's quite got that circular style of, of writing. I tend to be a bit more linear in my thinking. So my plan for today is for us to work through three kind of stages and three areas. And I want to touch on these three. I want to touch on life. I want to touch on light. And I want to touch on love. Okay, so that's the plan. If you're uh, wanting to kind of follow where I'm going, we're going to be thinking about life light and love okay so let's think about life and what John says about that now the way that John begins this letter it kind of seems a little bit abstract in the way that he, he's talking we kind of have to it's almost like we have to work quite hard to, to find out what he's talking about or who he's talking about he says things like that which was from the beginning and he speaks about the word of life the life made manifest the eternal life. As I say, it's kind of an abstract way of, of talking, really. And it's not necessarily automatically clear what he's trying to get to. But if we actually turn to the Gospel of John, so again, this was written by John, uh, and this is an account of Jesus' life, death, his resurrection. So it's kind of the story of Jesus. And actually, if we look at the way he starts his Gospel, it's very similar to the way that he begins this letter. Let me just read to you from the start of, uh, of the Gospel of John. And if, see if you can pick up the similarities. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, 
And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So we've got these real similarities here. He's talking about the word. He's talking about life. He's talking about something that was there at the beginning. And what we need to understand right at the very start of this letter, and right at the very start of this series, is that he is talking about Jesus. When he's talking about the word, when he's talking about life, he's talking about Jesus. And that's the way he started his gospel. He's telling us the story of Jesus, and he starts with Jesus. He says Jesus was there at the beginning. All things were made through him and for him. There was nothing without him. I want you to, even if you can even begin to do this, just try and imagine a time before the universe existed. Just to try and get your head around that. Before there were planets, before there were stars, before there were moons, before there was the sun, before any of that, before there were galaxies, before any of that existed, Jesus was. It's what John means when he says uh, about that which was in the beginning, Jesus was there in the beginning, and in him was life. And as John starts this letter, and as he writes about life, which we now know he's talking about Jesus, he's writing as one who knows Jesus firsthand. Did you notice the language that he uses? He uses a lot of we's, ours, us's. He's talking as one who's known Jesus firsthand. He was one of the disciples. He was around him. He spent time with him. He would have eaten with him. He would have had conversations with him. And he's saying, look, at the beginning of this letter, John's saying this. He's saying, look, I was there. This, what I'm writing to you about, this actually happened. I saw it. I was part of it. I'm not showing you a theory. I'm not telling you a conclusion that I've come to because of things that I've heard from other people or other places. I'm sure of what I'm writing to you because I know Jesus. There's such confidence that comes out of what he's writing. He's saying, we heard, we saw, we touched, we knew. And it's so important that we understand this because remember the context that he's writing into. There's a time where there are false teachers bringing all sorts of things into the church. And it's causing all sorts of problems and leading followers of Jesus to all sorts of places that they shouldn't go to. But John has confidence because he has seen, heard, looked upon and touched Jesus. He knows this Jesus that he is talking about. He knows this Jesus that he is talking about. And that's what he means when he speaks of, uh, he uses this term about the life made manifest. If something is made manifest, it's publicly seen. And it's it's publicly known. That's what that word means. It's seen and known. He's saying, look, this is who Jesus is. This is Jesus, the life made manifest. He's been seen and he's known. Jesus, who was from the beginning, comes into the world to be seen, to be heard, to be touched, to be known. There's a lot of what we've been singing about this morning. It's it's amazing. The, The things that we've been singing have just so fitted in with what I want to share with us today. We're saying, Jesus who's from the beginning, comes into the world to make himself known and to be known. And the reason that Jesus came was that we would know God. That we would have relationship 
with God. And we're going to, again, continue to explore that this morning. And John, he's sharing what he's seen. And he's sharing what he's heard. And he says, I'm sharing these things with you because there's an invitation that I want to make to you. So to those of you who are reading this, you need to, you need to listen to what I'm saying because I want to share the things I've seen, the things I've heard, because there's an invitation for you in this. And it's an invitation to fellowship. Fellowship's maybe not a word that we hear much of, perhaps outside of, of uh, religion and, and those kind of contexts. But the word that's, that uh, John uses for fellowship, in, in the Greek in which he writes, it also means partnership. So it's another helpful way for us to think of it. He's inviting us into partnership. And if you think about a partnership, within a partnership there's, there's com- commitment to one another, isn't there? There's that sense of working together as a team with a common purpose for a common goal. And this is the word that he uses. He's saying, look, I'm gonna, I want you to understand this because there's an invitation here into partnership. And what, um, uh, and what John wants to share about, what he's uh, seen and experienced firsthand, he wants to share this because he wants to invite people into partnership with him and with other followers of Jesus to be committed together, to be working together with that shared purpose. But he casts the picture much wider because this fellowship is with one another, but it's rooted in fellowship or other partnership with God the Father and God the Son. The call to fellowship with one another is firmly rooted, actually, first and foremost, in the fact that we've been called to partnership with God, the Father and God the Son. Phil Moore, he's written a commentary on 1 John, and he says that God has committed to work hard with you. He invites you to be an active partner in God's family business. That's what John's writing about. There's an invitation here. There's an invitation from God to to partner with him actively in God's family business. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I can have a pretty bad habit when when I'm reading. Uh, I do... There's definitely a temptation, and I quite often give it into it, where I will jump ahead of where I am and maybe just get a little glimpse of what's coming up. Uh, often when I do it, I regret it straight away because then I'm just like, well, I know what's going to happen. Why did I bother doing that? But we're going to do that this morning. might sound a little bit controversial, but I think it's important that we do that. I want us to jump right to the end of 1 John and into chapter 5. And in verse 13 of chapter 5, John writes this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So John's saying, look, kind of in in a bit of a summary, the reason why I'm writing to you, the reason why it's so important that you hear what I'm saying is because for those of you who believe in, in, in the name of the Son of God, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I want you to be sure. Remember the way that John's writing, he knew Jesus, didn't he? He knew he had eternal life. And just as he knew, just as he was confident, this letter has been written that people would know real truth and that people would have confidence in that. Another way we could, we could word it, another way that might be helpful is that we would have assurance. Actually, that's what we've given the title that we've given to this series, that we would have assurance, that we would have confidence, that we would have certainty. And I think this works itself, but we can talk about it working out individually, that as, as individuals we can have confidence that if we, if we believe in the name of Jesus that we know that we have 
eternal life. It's so important that we have that certainty, that we're not in that place of, of, of constantly feeling, well, I think I am, but I'm not sure. Am I saved? I don't know. John's saying, actually, you can have assurance. You can know that you have eternal life. I love what Lou shared at the beginning, where she was in that place where the Holy Spirit just said to her, yeah, but you're saved. You know you're saved. And for Lou, even in that moment, it, it changed everything in terms of how she was feeling. And it's true for us as individuals. We can know that we have eternal life. We can have that assurance and that confidence. But corporately, it's important for us as well, for the church. You know, John was writing to the church at a time where there were lots of challenges coming in. Lots of untruths coming in. But think about the way the church is today. Many people outside would would challenge what we believe, wouldn't they? They would say, actually, what you believe isn't true. There's also pressure, and we're seeing this, that there's pressure to, for the church to, to conform and to fit in. A, a pressure to, or a lie that we have to try and stay, stay relevant, and in order to stay relevant, that we have to change what we believe. The challenges are the same for us as they were. They might look different, but the challenges are the same. And so actually for the church to know that we have eternal life, to know that we are secure. To know Jesus is so important because we need to know what we're standing for. We need to know who we're standing for. And this eternal life that John's writing about, it's not merely something that you're going to receive one day in the future. Yes, we know that there's hope that goes beyond the grave because Jesus rose again. But actually, he says, he doesn't say you will have eternal life. He says you have eternal life. That you know that you have eternal life in this moment. You see, the gospel isn't just a promise for tomorrow. It's also to be experienced today. It changes everything for us. Now, I don't know whether this question came into your mind, but as John started the letter, and I say he starts in that sort of abstract, sort of abstract way where he's talking about the word and the life, and that was at the beginning. And we know he was talking about Jesus. You might think, well, why didn't he just use the name Why didn't he just say Jesus in the first place? It might have been a bit easier for us to kind of get our heads around. There's a guy named Bryson Smith who's written a study guide on 1 John and he says that from the very beginning of his letter, John wants his readers to appreciate the tight connection between Jesus and life. He says that Jesus is the source of all life and therefore we must go to Jesus Christ if we are to have eternal life. That is where eternal life is found, in Jesus and in him alone. Jesus said about it himself, John 10.10, he said, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it to the full. So John, he's talking about life, but he also talks about light. Let's go back again to the Gospel of John. He says, in him was life, and and the life was the light, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's this sense where, again, so we've got the Gospel of John at the start and this letter that John's written. We've got this combination here. He's talking about life, but he's also talking about light. It's clearly something that was important to him, a message that he wanted to get across. So we're going to think a little bit about what that, what he's talking about, what it is in light, about light. Now in that verse I'd read from the 
so I'm jumping around a little bit here, but the, the verse we read from the end of 1 John that spoke about the, the assurance that we can have in knowing that we have eternal life. It's also about, I think it's also about signs of new life coming through. So where we have received new life, actually there should be evidence of the new life we've received coming through. Does that make sense? So in terms of the way that we're thinking, the way that we're, that we're acting, the way that we're behaving, there's evidence of the new life that we have. That in, in and of itself gives us confidence to know that we have eternal life because we're being changed. Now at this point in the letter, John, he's moving on to areas where correction needs to be brought. It does. These false teachings have come in and people are kind of going off on, on an unhelpful uh, tangent. And he, so correction needs to come in and correction needs to be bought. And the reason why correction needs to be bought is because the truth has been challenged. Okay, false teachings coming in and John said, actually, I need to, to challenge that and I need to bring truth in. And it's amazing because John doesn't start with the church's failings. He doesn't start by touching on the eccentricities uh, with the church, but actually he focuses on God. And he focuses on God's nature and on God's being. Because when I'm talking about assurance, I think assurance, part of assurance, or a big part of assurance is knowing who we are. But the only way that we can know who we are is by knowing who he is. So John draws us straight back to who God is. And in verse 5 he says this, he says, This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness is found. That's his starting point. Now he's coming to speak about light. He's saying, this is our starting point. God is light. That is who he is. There's no darkness to be found in him. Now throughout scripture, throughout the Bible, uh, um, this idea of light kind of speaks of of God's presence. It speaks about God being with his people. Particularly through the Old Testament, uh, there there was a time where he would lead his people uh, by, and, and by night when he would lead his people by a column of fire. So there's this sense of light, this, this presence, this being with his people. But not only that, so it speaks of God's presence, but it also speaks of his purity. It speaks of his holiness, his, his otherness, that there's nothing impure in him. And it also speaks of his guidance, as I said, that sense of his leading. So it's quite a, it's a, a fairly broad picture that it, that is being used. So when we say God is light, it speaks of his presence, it speaks of his purity and holiness, but also of his guidance. And we know that darkness is, is incompatible with light. So if God is light, then in him there's no shadowy places. There's no murky places. There's nothing that's shady about him. And therefore, if we are to have fellowship with him, then our walk is to be shaped by who he is. Okay? So if we're in fellowship with him, then our walk is to be shaped by who he is. And because he is light, we're called to walk in the light. What that means is we're called to walk in his presence. We're to press on in holiness and purity, but with his guidance as he leads us through that. As we journey through life. This is a beautiful truth that I want to share with you and really this is what John is saying through his letter you don't need to get yourself sorted out before God can do anything we don't have to get our act together morally speaking we don't have to be living a life that's pleasing to God before we can come to him before we're acceptable before him before he will welcome us or even give us the time of day You see, this walk 
that John is talking about, this sense of walking in the light, it flows out of the fellowship that we now have through Jesus. It's not a way to get to that fellowship, it's something that flows out of it. See, we've been saved by grace. And grace means having received something that you is totally undeserved. It's been given to you just because the giver wants to give it to you. Not because of anything you've done to earn it. Not because you've achieved anything that, uh, that, that means that you are, you're able to receive it. Grace just means you've been given something that you don't deserve. And we have been saved by grace. God came to rescue us knowing us to be sinners. Didn't take him by surprise. He knew who we were. And actually, that's why he came. Now, throughout the letter of 1 John that we're going to see over these coming weeks, um, John will pick up on a few things. He'll talk about how this is how believers are now meant to live. Okay, so if if you've you've been saved by Christ, this is how you're meant to live. In there, there's also a call to, to overcome sin. To be those that, that, that overcome sin. Uh, there's a call to love one another. There's another call in there to be people who keep God's command. So there's quite a lot in terms of John saying, look, actually, uh, now that you're saved, that, that there should be evidence of that in the new life that you have. But it would be really unhelpful for us to think of John as a list of do's and don'ts. Because actually a more helpful way for us to think about it is John is it's rather a manifesto of done. It's not do's and don'ts, it's because Jesus has done it. Because it's been done. Because what you couldn't do for yourself has been done, therefore your life should reflect that. Your life should look different because of it. Romans 3.23 says, says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? For all have sin. There's no caveats in there. There's no exclusions. There's nothing, no footnotes on there. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And in his writing, John reminds us. He says that we, do you know what? We can try and convince ourselves that we don't sin. We can try and convince others that we don't sin. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know what? sometimes we can even try and rename sin or rename a sin so it doesn't sound quite so bad. But it's simply not true to say you have no sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It would be simply untrue. And what John warns us here, he says, Do you know what? actually if you say you have no sin, then you're, just, you're deceiving yourself. You're not facing up to the reality of, uh, of, of actually who you are. That's a dangerous place to be. And he says, actually, worse than that, not only do, do you deceive yourself, but you're making God out to be a liar. Church, don't deceive yourself. Don't try to hide. If you know that there are things in your life that are just incompatible with the life that Jesus has called you to, if you know that there is sin 
in your life. Don't deceive yourself. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to rationalise it. Don't try to put a different spin on it so it seems less offensive. Actually, what we should do is go straight to him, fall on his mercy and fall on his grace. And this is what John is telling us. I don't know if you've ever noticed this for yourself, but sometimes I can be at home and either watching the telly or working on the computer, working on the monitor, and, and then light comes in, bright sunshine comes in, and it shows up just how grubby the screen is. Have you ever noticed this yourself? But it takes the light coming in to show up what is there, to show up those smudges that are on the screen, and because light exposes things that have previously been hidden in the dark. So if we're to be those who are walking in the light, if we're to be those who are uh, are seeking God first and to to follow his leading and to be living lives that are pleasing to him, then understand that if you're walking in the light, then it will expose things in our lives. I don't know if if anyone's ever experienced this, but I I read someone was saying, actually, when they've been ministering to people, particularly people who have, have been... Uh, Christians for a fairly short period of time they feel like actually I'm just aware that I'm messing up in this area, in this area, in this area I feel like I'm failing, not really growing or or anything and this person's response is actually do you know what, you're just more aware of the things that you weren't aware of before because the light is showing up things in your life that have been hidden before so actually if you feel like actually I'm just more aware of just sin in my life don't be discouraged Actually, it's because the light is showing stuff up. What you should do is to be confident. And the reason we can have confidence, and this is what John tells us, we can have confidence that God will forgive us. We can have confidence that God will forgive us because he is faithful and because he is just. Because that is who he is. So I would say this to you, church. If you're aware of sin in your life, don't delay Take it to him. Receive forgiveness. Because it is there for you. Now the start of of chapter 2. John states another reason for writing his letter. So he's kind of following on. So he's spoken about life and he's spoken about light. And he's saying, look, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is his father heart coming out for believers. He's saying, look, I'm writing these things to you because I don't want you to be walking in sin. Because I want you to be walking in light. I want you to be living a life that reflects uh, the, the new life that you have been given. So he says, look, my heart, I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin. But if you do, there is hope. If you do, all is not lost. So don't be discouraged. And this is where we come to our final point, which is love. John 3.16. It's a lot of John today. Pretty much most of my references are from John. But John writes this in John 3.16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did he send his son? Because he loved the world. And it's because he sent his son that we have hope. So Jesus, the word of life, the word from the beginning is sent into the world. 
He sent into the world that he created. And if we look at the Gospels, so if we look through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the, the Gospels that tell of Jesus' life, his death on the cross and of his resurrection, we understand more of why Jesus came. See, Romans 3.23 that we read a moment ago, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus never did. You see, if we look at the life of, of Jesus through the Gospels, we'll see that Jesus never sinned. He said of himself, I only do the things that I see my Father do. Therefore, it means that when he was crucified on the cross, because he hadn't sinned, he took the punishment for us. He bore our sins in our place. And then because he rose again, we too have absolute confidence and assurance that we too will be raised to life again. John says about Jesus, he says, look, we, there is hope because Jesus is our advocate and because Jesus is our propitiation. Now, an advocate is one who stands on someone else's behalf. There's someone who intercedes on behalf of another one. And what John is saying, he's saying, look, this Jesus, righteous Jesus, who never sinned, who only ever did what he saw the Father do in this same Jesus, he stands before the Father on your behalf. He is your advocate. He's your mediator. We were singing, I'm pretty sure we were singing in the song earlier, that actually the, right, this, the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to us because when, Jesus, when God looks upon us, he sees the Son. He sees Jesus' righteousness. Because he is our advocate. And he's also the propitiation for our sins. That's not a word we use every day. If you are using that word every day, then I need to talk to you and find out how you're managing it. It's not a word that we use. But what it means is to turn away someone's justifiable wrath. Let me say that again. It's to turn away someone's justifiable wrath. And what Jesus has done through his sacrifice has turned away God's wrath from us. And in its place, what do we find? We find forgiveness. I don't know about you, but these are real words of comfort. What Jesus has done through his sacrifice has turned away God's wrath from us and in its place we find forgiveness. That's grace. That's that free gift given to us. Another study guide I was reading in preparation for today was written by a guy named Nathan Buttery. And he says that we must not think that Jesus persuaded or forced the Father to bless us through the cross, as if the Father was unwilling. Our salvation starts with the love of God. And the cross was God's loving plan to be both just and to forgive our sins. Our salvation starts with the love of God. And as John reminds us, it was his love for the world. See, God's forgiveness, it's not just for a certain group. And, and in this letter that John's writing, he's wanting to make clear, actually, this forgiveness that I'm talking to you about, the fact that you have an advocate, the fact that Jesus has turned away God's wrath from you, that, that uh, all of this, 
it is, is for you, but it's not just for you. It's not just for a certain group of people. It's not just for a certain nation or for a certain culture. God's, he's not, it's not for a certain group, but his forgiveness is for all. And what John's not saying that everyone will be saved. That's not what scripture says. Rather, what John is saying is that no one is beyond the need for God. That's the truth. All of us have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is beyond the need for God. But also, John says, no one is beyond the reach of God. No one is beyond the reach of his salvation. And so this invitation that John is extending at the very start of this letter, this invitation into fellowship, is an invitation for all. And it's an invitation that needs to be made known. John was able to write that he's writing these things that his joy may be complete. He says that in the early verses. He says, I'm writing these things to you, making this known to you, that my joy, our joy may be complete. And his joy is made complete as people come into fellowship, into partnership, into relationship with God. His joy is made complete as people receive assurance. His joy is made complete as people know with confidence that they have received eternal life. That's the message that John has. That's the message that John wanted to make known. Let me tell you this, church, this is the same message that we have. It's the same message that we have. And it's not to be kept to ourselves, but it's to be made known. And just as John was able to say, I'm making this known to you so that our joy may be complete, it's true for us. This message is to be made known that our joy may be complete. This is the start of this series. This is the start of John's letter. John says, yes, we're to be a people who walk in the light. We're to live lives of holiness. We're to live lives being led by God in his presence. There's something that's meant to be different about us from, from when, uh, before we knew Jesus. Now that we know Jesus, our lives should be different. There's no room for sin. And when sin comes along, we need to deal with it by going to Jesus. But he's saying, I'm calling you to this kind of lifestyle because Jesus has come that you may have life. You don't have to get yourself right before you come to God. You come just as you are. Because Jesus has dealt with everything that needs to be dealt with that we wouldn't be able to by ourselves. And we have hope. And we have confidence. And we have certainty. Because God sent his son into the world because he loved us so much.